This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to get into this message today, and you see the, the kind of the Twitter kind of theme here, follower. And uh, you know, on Facebook you have friends, and, and then Twitter you can follow people, which means you, you know you have an interest in you know what they're doing or what they're thinking, and. And then uh, I've been enjoying Instagram, which, you know, you share photos and you get to see, you know, photos that other people take. And, and uh, somebody came up to me after uh, the first service and said, uh, Pastor Ken, how come you haven't sent out a tweet yet? And uh, I, I had, I've never, I never had sent out a tweet, but my goal was to see how many followers I could get without ever tweeting. <laughs> a little bit of honoriness there, I guess, so... Uh, so I sent my first tweet between services today, and it's already been retweeted, so I feel very significant. I feel very affirmed. I know I'm a couple years late to the party, but anyway, I was like, okay, I mean, I kind of tweeted the gist of my message today, like, is anybody listening? Yeah. Anyway, I know you're here, and you're ready to hear, so uh, I'll be ready to get into the Word and talk about Jesus. Amen. Okay. Well, we're on a journey to learn what it really means to be a true disciple of Jesus, our desire is to go beyond having merely a casual interest in him, beyond just some kind of distant appreciation, uh, beyond some kind of religious attachment, uh, beyond some just self-serving kind of commitment, to end up having a real vital consuming relationship that compels us to be transformed into his image by our surrendered allegiance to his lordship. We're not just wanting to be those, like it says in the Bible, they followed him from afar. You know, we want to be those that follow close, amen? amen. That really know him, that are really uh, closely associated with him, that are passionately devoted to him, that uh, really allow him to change our lives. And uh, we're on this journey. We've defined follower, and this is a slide you've seen before, as a person who knows loves and serves Jesus as the supreme passion of life and everything else comes second. I think that's a great definition. And in the first message, uh, Pastor Frank listed how you know, we're on this journey from being admirers to inquirers to responders to followers. And, and, and I think that happens in our lives. You know, sometimes you know, a person gets kind of attracted to Jesus and, and then they, they're not sure what to do about that. And then different things happen along the line and we get closer. But how many of you know, the sooner you jump in and just follow him wholeheartedly, the better life will be. And we're on this journey and we understand that, but we want to not just be the kind of people who like, uh, you know, vote for Jesus and then hope he'll lower your taxes, you know, or just, uh, <laughs> you know, or just cheer him on, you know, like Jesus, he's so cool. He does so much. We're just, we're cheering, we're rooting for Jesus. We hope he wins, you know, or, uh, you know, like uh, we just cheer for him. Jesus, Jesus, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can, you know, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> Sometimes you hear some silly things, but um, a lot of preachers talk about the difference between being a fan or a follower. And I know that's, that's been referenced a lot. And I think it's worth referring to because uh, a fan is like somebody who's an enthusiastic admirer. You, you're a fan of a team, so you cheer that team on and you, you, you like that team and you wear their colors. And, and then, you know, you, it goes beyond that to being a fanatic, and a fanatic is like a fan out of control. 
You know, it's like a fan who's, uh, you know, they're, they're just nuts, really. A, a fanatic is like zeal without thought. It's like there's nothing rational. They go beyond social norms. They, they look stupid, act stupid, but they're a fanatic, you know. And uh, sometimes people think that us, you know, Jesus freaks are, are fanatics, but we're not really, because I don't think Jesus wants either fans or fanatics. And I, I want to talk about why I think that's true. And we say, well, we cheer for football, cheer for Jesus. Eh, you know, that's a bad analogy. Jesus doesn't want us to just cheer him on, sitting in the stands. He wants to have a close, personal, vital relationship that transforms every area of our life where he's involved in our life day to day. It's an ongoing relationship. And by the way, it's not weird. It's not out of control. It's not weird. And it's not unreasonable. He gave us a mind and he wants us to use that mind to understand how reasonable it is that we follow him. In fact, it's the smartest thing you can do. We're, We're not fanatics, zeal without thought. He wants followers that have both passion and reason. I want to talk about this today. I'm going to focus on the reason side first, then get to the passion side. Today we're going to focus on why we follow Jesus. Our theme today is the Jesus we follow, why we can believe in him. That's kind of the long title for what I'm talking about today. The Jesus we follow, why we can believe in him. I want to come from the perspective of why it's so reasonable to believe in him, as well as then get into what, of our, what are our personal reasons that create a passion within us to follow Jesus. So I just want to start with this question. Why is Jesus the best person to follow? And let's think of it from a rational, kind of reasonable point of view. Like, why, is it reasonable? Do you just have to get rid of your brain and your sense of reason to, to be a Jesus person? Not really. It makes a lot of sense. And if, if you can't get on God's wavelength, that might seem unreasonable. And if all you care about is stuff that doesn't matter, it might not seem unreasonable. But when you really look at it and look at the evidence and who he really is, it's entirely reasonable. Like, and, and, and we need to understand There's a reason why we follow Jesus and not somebody else. I mean, in fact, why do you follow Jesus? Why don't you follow Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius? Or there's there's been some religious leaders around that have a lot of adherents. Have you ever checked them out? I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm not, but you know, it's like, why don't we follow them? Why do we follow Jesus? It's like, well, it's just the guy I know better. Or it's just who my friends follow. You know, it's like, do you well, he seems to have a lot of followers, so I guess I'll follow him too. You know, it's, uh, is, is there something more than that? By the way, of all those religious dudes, he's the only one with an empty tomb. So that's kind of a good start there. You know, just like, you know, okay. Uh, if you want a shortcut, you know, to, to thinking this through. But uh, let me read you, uh, in terms of this question, you know, like, uh, why is Jesus the best person to follow? My, I want to do this question, like, why is he the best person to follow? And the first answer that I want to uh, look at is because there's no one like him. Because there's no one like him. There's nobody else that's like Jesus. He is, he's way different than anybody else that you could possibly follow. And I think it's important we consider some of these differences. 
John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So just starting off in the very first statement of John's gospel, remember John was Jesus' best friend, he knew him best. It's like, whoa, he's different than the rest of us. Like he created everything that exists. How many people do you know that created everything that exists? You know, there's, there couldn't be many. <clears throat> Jesus himself engaged people in thinking about this. In uh, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 42, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, some religious guys in his day. And having this conversation, there was more than one time where he talked about this kind of a question with them. But in Matthew 22, 42, he asked them this question. What do you think of Christ? Notice he didn't say, how do you feel about him? Jesus was inviting thought. What do you think of Christ? Now, in that context, in that conversation, they went on to, you know, and then the next question, by the way, he asked is, whose son is he? And I'll get to that in a minute. And they went on to say, well, he's going to be the son of David. And, and then he said, well, then why did David call him Lord? And, and anyway, I'm not going to get into what he was dealing with with the Pharisees, but just to pick that question maybe a little bit out of that context and just relate it to us a little bit. Like, what do you think of Christ? Not just how do you feel. We'll get to that, the passion side. But what, what do you think of Christ? If we were to like do a survey, a street corner, mall, whatever, and just ask people casually, hey, would you mind answering a couple questions for us here? And you were to ask them this question, what do you think of Jesus Christ? Now, you'd, you'd get a variety of answers, but when this has been done, at least in our nation, you get a variety of answers, and one that rises to the top, a lot of occurrence, would, people would say things like, he was a good man, uh, he was a good moral teacher, he taught some cool stuff, you know, love your neighbor, be nice, forgive, you know, the, There'd be a lot of actually, surprisingly, if you, do, if you did this, you'd be surprised at how many positive comments about Jesus you would get. Now, there would be a few that are really anti-Jesus, and they'd say, oh, he's just a myth or whatever, but there's not many of those because, you know, the historicity of Jesus is so clear that it's kind of stupid not to believe in it. But people can, you know, get, be opposed to him, but it's not as many as you might think. And, and then there's some would say, well, he was a martyr for his cause, and and, uh, you know, you get a variety of those kind of middle ground type answers. And then you would be surprised at how many people would say, he's the savior of the world. He's the son of God. He's my Lord. You know, there, there are a bunch of us around, you know, so you would get that answer as well, surprisingly, in terms of percentage. But the majority would be in kind of this middle ground of he was a good man, good teacher, good leader, you know, taught some cool stuff, which really, when you think about it, is not a logical possibility. It's not a logical possibility because Jesus claimed to have created everything that exists. He claimed to be the Lord of the universe. He claimed to be the only savior of the world, the only way to the Father. You know, Jesus made some outrageous claims and good teachers don't claim to be something they're not. Good teachers don't lie about who they are. Good teachers aren't like detached from reality with grandiose ideas of themselves. So where a lot of people just have this middle ground, good vibe about Jesus, that's not, if you're gonna think about it, that's not a logical possibility. Everybody understand why? 
Well, because of who he claims to be, there's, there's no real middle ground here. I think C.S. Lewis is the first, to my knowledge, that came up with this, and then uh, these three logical possibilities as to who Jesus really is. If you're gonna just think about Jesus, and should you follow him or not, start from a reasonable point of view, you know, just reasoning. It's like there's three logical possibilities. And then uh, Josh McDowell, a couple decades ago, took those three from C.S. Lewis, and he turned them into uh, three L's, like each word starts with an L, so it's easier to remember. The first one that's a logical possibility is that he was a liar. Now, in other words, when he claims to be the Lord of the universe, creator of the world, all this stuff, he was just faking people out. He was just lying. He knew that he wasn't, but he just was trying to enhance his credibility and exaggerate, and so he was, he was really lying. That's a logical possibility. Now, to find out whether he's lying now, you gotta look at the evidence. Like he says, I created the world. Well, he was able then to suspend the laws of nature and do miracles, so maybe he does have power over the world. You know, so to find out whether he's lying, you'd look at the evidences to see whether is there any evidence that backs up what he claims to know whether he's telling the truth. You know, kind of rising from the dead's a pretty cool one and you know, walking on water. You know, there's some stuff that kind of backed his claims that... Uh, and the effect he had on people's lives, et cetera. But of the logical possibilities, one is that he's just deceiving everybody. A second possibility is he was just nuts. Like he, he was, his sense of himself was just, uh, Josh calls it a, a lunatic, you know, just stick with the L's, but that he's just crazy. He was just detached from reality. He just had this sense that he was some great thing that he really wasn't. And, and you know, there, there are people who, Anybody know anybody that's kind of detached from reality and their sense of themselves? You know, it's like, don't, don't look around right now. You know? <laughs> so somebody always like, uh, I've met some people who were detached from reality. Have you? I was reminiscing about this yesterday. And there was a man who came to talk to me one day, a young man, and, and uh, in our conversation, he got to the point where he says, Ken, I want to tell you what my greatest fear is. It's like, okay, I'm a pastor. I think I can help with this maybe. He says, I'm afraid that if I ever go to the Middle East, I'll turn out to be the Antichrist. That's what he said, seriously. If I ever go to the Middle East, I'll turn out to be the Antichrist. Well, I almost started laughing. And, and you'd have to understand my connection to him at this point, but I said, don't worry, but that's nothing to be afraid of. You're not smart enough to be the Antichrist. <laughs> Kind of looked at me like, what? I said, don't worry, you'll never be the Antichrist. <laughs> okay, I guess that wasn't the best example of how to counsel somebody. But <laughs> 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 a reality check, you know, it's like. <laughs> and then a number of years ago, we had, we had a man who claimed to be Jesus Christ who came to our campus over on Rocky Butte. For real, this really happened. Late one afternoon. And this is before we built the dome. So the college was up there, but the church hadn't moved up yet. You know, we'd moved the college from Gleason Street. And late one afternoon, there's a receptionist was still there, just getting ready to leave. And there was one faculty member still in the back office. I, I was gone. And uh, a man walks in, he's all dressed in white. White shirt, white pants, white shoes, white, you know, white everything. And he comes up to the receptionist and he says, uh, my name's Jesus Christ and I am, uh, wanna talk to somebody about a job. And she was stunned, you know, she was like, what did you say? <laughs> he said, my name is Jesus Christ, I wanna talk to somebody about a job. And she got real nervous, so she's 
pushing the button of the teacher, you know, who's back in the office, you know, and, and so he, uh, he comes out, he's uh, not around here anymore, but you have to know him, he's kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy, and he walks up and says, uh, can I help you? And the man turns to him and says, I'm Jesus Christ, I wanna talk to somebody about a job. And the teacher says, you're not Jesus Christ. <laughs> he says, yes, I am. He says, no, you're not, you're not. He says, yes, I'm Jesus. He says, no, you're not Jesus. And the guy pulled out his wallet and pulled out his Oregon driver's license and said, it said Jesus Christ on the light. He says, the state of Oregon thinks I'm Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway, they never resolved that debate, but I guess they went on and shoot him off. And so we're the Bible college that wouldn't let Jesus in, you know, it's like. <laughs> it really happened. And the story actually, it was sad. The next day he was at another church uh, about a mile away over in 92nd and, and uh, walked in, kind of same thing. The pastor came out of his office and uh, came up behind him, put his hand on his shoulder, which evidently Jesus didn't like because he just, he went berserk and just took the pastor and threw both of them through a plate glass window that was right by the front door of the church. I know this pastor, I went to uh, summer camps with him when I was a kid. And uh, the pastor had to go to the hospital at 87 stitches. And the police came and took Jesus to jail. <laughs> you know. Anyway, you live long enough, you see some weird stuff. You know? <laughs> so anyway, I kind of made my point here that a logical possibility is he's either outright deceiving or he's just goofy. Or the third possibility is he's the Lord that he is who he claims to be, and that is the Lord of the universe, the creator of everything, savior of the world. I mean, you only have three choices. Notice on that list is not a good guy, a good teacher, a good prophet. You know, those are not logical possibilities. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. He either is who he claimed to be, which is quite amazing and outlandish and, and just, wow, or you know, the, the other alternatives. Well, now, if, then if you look at the evidence was he lying or not? Was he crazy? You look at all the evidence that supports his claims. The most logical conclusion to come to is that he's the Lord of the universe. He is who he claims to be. There is no one like Jesus. Now, in that Matthew 22 passage, he asked them, what do you think of Christ? And then the second question he asked them is, whose son is he? Whose son is he? And this takes us to who Jesus really was. Like, and Jesus claimed to be fully God and fully man, both. He's the son of Mary, which makes him human. He's the son of God, which makes him divine. Now, if he'd only been a son of Mary, he'd be only human and wouldn't be God. If he was only the son of God, he would only be divine and not be human. But Jesus claimed to be both. Over 70 times in the book of Luke, he calls himself the son of man, referring to his humanity. Jesus also claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to have existed before Abraham did. He claimed to have always existed. He, he claimed oneness with the Father. He, he claimed, at one time, he claimed to be omnipresent. He's like, while I'm standing here talking to you, I'm also with my Father in heaven at the same time. They all picked up rocks to stone him because they knew he was claiming to be God. Fully God, fully man, not half each, not a hybrid third mix, you know, mixture or something. He's fully God, fully man, two natures, one person. That makes him unique. There's nobody else like Jesus. God in the flesh, God with us, God Almighty, God who became a man. 
This union of his two natures in one person is what qualifies him to be our mediator. Because he came to reconcile man and God, to bring God and man together. But in his person, he was both God and man. So he's the best mediator, like fulfilling Job's questions about who can referee between God and man, lay his hand on both of us. Well, Jesus, he's, we have a saying in theology, we say he couldn't have done what he did if he hadn't been who he was. What he came to do is to bring God and man together. So in his person, he is both God and man, which uniquely qualifies him to be the person to bring man back to God. He's both priest and sacrifice. His deity preserves and offers his humanity as the only sinless sacrifice for human sin. Jesus is amazing. Nobody like him. My second reason here, like why should we follow Jesus is because he's the most important person who's ever lived. Hands down, he's the most important person who's ever lived. I'll give you three verses. First, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Listen to this. 1 Peter 3, 22 says, referring to Jesus, who has gone into heaven and as at God's right hand with angels, authority, and powers in submission to him. I don't know anybody else like that. All angels, powers, authority subject to him. He's in heaven right at the right hand. Acts chapter four, verse 12. Here's a great statement about Jesus. It says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. He's the only savior. There's nobody else. Colossians chapter one, verse 16. I'll just do the start of this. The whole chapter is pretty cool. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. Amen. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Amen. Nothing would exist if he wasn't, making it exist. Whoa. Now, what's so cool about this is that you can know him. This amazing Jesus, who's the Lord of everything, the creator of everything, holds everything together. You actually can know him. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed the advantage of somebody else that you know and are connected to? Like maybe they had money you don't have or they had an answer you don't have or they have a connection that you don't have to give you an opportunity with an end with somebody else. Do you ever like, you know, refer to, I got a guy. Like somebody that can help me with some need I have or some advantage I need, you know. Well, I was thinking about this. I was remembering when, um, when our son got engaged and um, got engaged to Larry and Carolyn's daughter. Remember those times? <laughs> those are fun. Well, I remember when he came to me, and it was fun being a part of that process. It was last year of Bible college. Time to get, in, you know, he wanted to get engaged, so that happened, you know. And then he comes to me, and he says, Dad, he says, you know, you, you do a lot of weddings, and I've been thinking about this, and I, it would really mean a lot to me if you would be the best man in my wedding. Well, I could have just gone to heaven after the wedding, of course, but, you know, I mean, like, like what an honor, what, you know. Because what he, I said to him, I said, well, you got lots of friends. I mean, don't you want them to be? He says, dad, you're my best friend. Wow, that's awesome. <sighs> like I said, I mean, what could be better than that? 
And so then I, thought, I paused and I thought of it. I said, man, that's an honor. That, that means so much to me to say that to me. I said, but doesn't that mean I'm gonna plan your bachelor party? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me like he hadn't thought about that, eh? you know? And I said, isn't that weird? And he says, yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> So anyway, so we're talking about it. So, so what, do you, what would you like to do? Well, that was right when the Rose Garden had been built, you know, for the Trailblazers. And, um, they, and at that time, Portland had a uh, indoor professional soccer franchise. It was a part of a league that went on for a few years. And, and uh, so there was a team here in Portland. Ben was really into soccer at that time. And he was like, well, maybe we could, you know, get all the guys together and we could go to a soccer game together. And then I thought, I got a guy. I know the general manager of that franchise, Randy. I've known him for years. And I'm thinking back, yeah, Randy, I, I, could, I could just, I'll call Randy. Now, when Ben was little and my brother uh, and his son, Bo, were little, we started going to Portland State football games and then it kind of grew to other pastors and sons and it grew into a fairly large group. And so I, I'd buy a lot of tickets. So I got to know the ticket sales guy at PSU and became his friend. And then he became athletic director. And so through the years, you know, kept in touch with him. And then he had left Portland State to be the general manager of this soccer franchise, Randy. So I call Randy. I said, hey, Randy, uh, you remember my son, Ben? He says, yeah, how's he doing? I said, he's all grown up. He's getting married. Really, he's getting married. And I uh, said, guess what? He's asked me to be the best man. He's like, whoa, that's the coolest thing ever. And I said, that means I'm going to plan his bachelor party. That's weird. <laughs> I said, well, what we'd like to do is I'd just like to see if we could get some seats together. You know, I just want to buy some. I was calling him thinking I could just get some seats to get, well, sit together at the game. You know? And he says, let me call you back. Five minutes, he calls me back and says, hey, Ken, I just found out the Trailblazers are not gonna be using their skybox that night, so how about you get the Trailblazers skybox with 20 tickets, four parking passes, and we'll fill the fridge with pop, right? You know, <laughs> he knew me. And, uh, and he, while he's saying all this, my mind's going ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. You know, like, what is this gonna cost? I said, so, man, that's really great, Randy. What is it gonna cost? He says, oh, nothing, it's on me. I am the coolest dad in the world. <laughs> I mean, how cool is this? <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where it kind of helps to know a guy? Well, think about Jesus. He's got more pull than Randy. He can get you better than the Blazer skybox. Look at his skybox. I mean, it's really, you know, it's like, you know. I don't know why sometimes we just, we kind of forget about this, you know, like you have a relationship with the yeah. best person in the world to know. And by the way, he wants to be there for you and he likes it when you call and he likes doing stuff. Like it, it really means something to him. So the second reason is because he's the most important person. Here's the third one. Because he's the greatest example. There's no better example of anyone to follow or to emulate or want to be like or want to have influence what kind of person you become better than Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, He is your example. You should follow in his steps. In living his perfect sinless life, Jesus provided the best example mankind's ever had. He showed us how to be really human. You know, Jesus is more human than we are. Because he's human the way human was meant to be. Yeah. Amen. 
Human wasn't meant to be sinful and selfish and hurting each other and all weird and messed up. You know, human was meant to be like God, godly in his image. And, you know, and so Jesus showed it. He's the epitome of everything God hoped for mankind to be when he created us. Jesus is the epitome. You, you take any virtue, he's like the ultimate example of any virtue. One that really um, fascinates me is how Jesus could be at the same time uncompromisingly holy and uncondemningly compassionate. That's just hard to do. He could be uncompromisingly holy, like he could be the most holy person around, no compromise at all, and yet the person who was the most compassionate to those that were not like him. It's hard to do. His compassion and acceptance of those that weren't like him didn't cause him to compromise at all any of his standards or his sense of holiness or godliness. There was no inconsistencies at all. Yet, yet he's the most loving and gracious person ever, and yet he's the most holy person ever. How do you find that it's hard to be both of those? And we could go through any kind of virtue you want to think of, and Jesus is the ultimate example. Why they made those bracelets, you know, WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know, I don't, nobody's wearing them. What would Ken do? No, Jesus, he's our example. You know, he's the, he's the best of everything. He's the best example. My fourth reason is he's the most credible person. He has the most credibility. He's the most believable and when it comes to public figures nowadays, there's always this sense of the credibility factor. You know, and how much can we believe what they really say? There's so much image construction and there's so much brand, you know, you know construction, all this stuff where, where, what is the substance behind it? And so, you know, we have a society where there's a lot of suspicion of those who have a lot of time, attention and, and influence and, and can we trust our leaders and our politicians and the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's just, there's a lot of skepticism, cynicism, suspicion. Who can you trust? Who's for real? I know you put up a good front and everything looks good with the camera, but what's behind scenes when the camera isn't looking? And so that's even our fascination with reality shows is like, we want to see behind scenes. The problem is the camera's still on. Anyway, <laughs> it's something I think about. But Jesus is entirely trustworthy. You can count on what he says as always being completely truthful. Revelation chapter one, verse five, John's best friend, he should know, he says that Jesus should be called the faithful witness. The faithful witness, meaning when he gives testimony to something, it's 100% true, 100% reliable. There's never ever a shading of the truth for self-advantage. All dishonesty is pretty much motivated by some selfish motive. We embellish the truth to make ourselves look better. We hide the truth to make ourselves not look so bad. It's selfishness that skews the whole accuracy meter. But Jesus, the most selfless person who's ever lived, has no reason to vary the truth at all. He can handle even negative things. He can handle. He thinks he's greater than them. He doesn't have to hide from stuff. He doesn't have to deny, deny things. He's, and then in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, this, this has always fascinated me, that in the chapter that best describes the second coming of Christ, like this is it, all Revelation, all the weird animals, all that stuff through that book, then it comes down to chapter 19. 
And he comes in riding onto the stage of human history to, to end human history as we know it and start a whole new age. And he comes riding in on this white horse. And this is what it says about him. Of all the names he could be called, like conqueror, king of kings, all that stuff, here's the name that he's called when he takes over the world. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Our world is lost in a sea of deception, mirages, false promises, false hopes, unreliability, lack of credibility. Who can you really trust? Who can you really rely upon? Who's really giving you the straight truth? You know, who... And Jesus is gonna ride into that darkness with a shining light of his honesty. And his name, when he comes back, is the one who's faithful and true. If you've been believing him, turns out it was a good idea. Turns out you made the best choice if you put your faith in him. If you trusted that what he, everything he said was really true. Amen. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus said something that I've always, I used to think actually was like a little weird. Over 75 times in the Gospels, Jesus would begin saying something with these words. And I guess it's weird because I used to read the King James so much because in the King James, he would start by saying, verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, who talks like that? Pirates. Pirates? Oh, yeah, the veggie tales or what? Yeah, it's like... Or whatever, yeah. It's like, who says, does it, you don't walk up to a friend and say, verily, verily, I say unto you. You know, it's like, who says that? Well, Jesus was teaching in a day when there were a lot of false teachers and a lot of teachers whose testimony the people kind of were suspicious of, they couldn't totally count on. There were all these factions and different groups, et cetera, that were promoting their ideas. He ministered in a time when nobody had much credibility. So he made a point of saying this before he said something significant. He says, now listen, you can really believe what I'm about to tell you. You can really believe what I am about to tell you. Jesus was concerned about us believing him and knowing that we can believe him, knowing that he's entirely truthful and reliable. My last reason here is that... Um, why should we follow Jesus? Well, because his life has had the greatest impact. There's nobody in human history that has had more impact on the human race than Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's just look at the evidence. I mean, there, there's just nobody comes even close. There's been some big shots, but nobody has influenced so many people for so long like Jesus has. Romans chapter five, verse 10 says, we are saved by his life. We know he's saved by the death, burial, and resurrection, but we're saved by his life. There's nobody that can save you like Jesus. There's nobody that can lead the world out of this darkness like Jesus. There's nobody that can change the worst of things into the best of things like Jesus. There's nobody that has the impact or can have the impact on our lives individually, on our families, on our circle of friends on, in our communities, the nations, the whole world, nobody has the impact or the ability to have the impact like Jesus. There have been some great men who've tried to conquer the world and all that stuff, and, and they, they kind of have influence for a while, but then they die and they're gone, and then they're a note in the history books. Jesus' influence still lives. 
One of those guys I read a quote from, his name is Napoleon. How many know that Napoleon wanted to be a big shot and control the world and thought a lot of himself, you know? This is what he said, he wrote this. I marvel that whereas the ambitious dreams of myself, Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, should vanish into thin air, while a Judean peasant named Jesus would be able to stretch his hand across the centuries and control the destinies of men and nations. Poland's like, I give. <laughs> now, I want to read you something. It'll take a couple minutes that was written in 1926, and this is adapted from it. But it was popular a couple decades ago. It became a song, et cetera. It's called A Solitary Life. Nearly 2,000 years ago in an obscure village, a child was born of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. Then for three years, he became an itinerant preacher. This man never went to college or seminary, never wrote a book, never held a public office, never had a family or owned a home, never traveled more than 200 miles from his birthplace. Though he never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness, throngs of people followed him. He had no credentials but himself. While he was still young, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His followers ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was sentenced to death on a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his robe. His body was laid in a borrowed grave provided by a compassionate friend, but... Three days later, this man rose from the dead, living proof that he was, as he had claimed, the Savior whom God had sent, the incarnate Son of God. Twenty centuries have now come and gone, and today the risen Lord Jesus Christ is the central figure of the human race. On our calendars, his birth divides history into two eras. One day every week is set aside in remembrance of him. Our two most important holidays celebrate his birth and resurrection. His cross has become the universal symbol of victory over sin and death. This one man's life has furnished the theme for more songs, books, poems, and paintings than any other person or event in human history. Thousands of colleges, hospitals, orphanages, and other institutions have been founded in honor of this one who gave his life for us. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the governments that ever convened, all the kings that ever reigned have not changed the course of history as much as this one solitary life. Jesus is amazing. Now, for my last few minutes, I want to turn from reason to passion. Following Jesus, the most reasonable, smartest thing you do. Look at all the evidence. You don't have to get rid of your head. It's the smartest choice to make. But you can't follow him just intellectually. Amen. You have to follow him with your heart, not just your head. Right. And I want us to just for a moment think about what is it that bonds our hearts to Jesus? I hope you all feel affirmed that it's pretty smart for you to be a Christian. But what is it that makes for a real relationship and a real connection with him? What is it that really bonds us to him so that we're not just intellectual followers, but we're passionate followers, where we want to connect to him and have him speak to us and speak into our life, and we want him to change us, and we want to become like him, and we want to grow in our, the intimacy of our fellowship with him, and we want his words to 
mean most to us? Well, a lot of people could say a lot of things. What's most important right now is what would you say? What are the things about Jesus or your experience with him that have bonded you to him beyond just an intellectual level to a personal commitment? Where you feel this bond, you feel this connection, you feel this, the last thing you'd ever wanna do is hurt him and the thing you wanna do most is please him and he's just the most important person in your life and not just some faraway God who's so amazing but the, who's your best friend and the person who knows you best and Here's some things that people have said to me when I've asked them, why do you follow Jesus? One person said, his vision for my life is better than mine. How would you agree with that? Another person just said very quickly, because he healed me. Like their first encounter with Christ was when they were in desperately need of healing and they knew that in calling upon and that someone prayed and called in the name of Jesus and they were healed and that was their first awareness that Jesus knew them and loved them and cared for them and, and it just created this bond. Another person said, there's no one I'd rather be more like than him. Another person said to me, he has everything I need. That's kind of true, isn't it? He has everything I need. Have we come to the end of relying on ourselves and everyone else more than we rely on Jesus? Another person said, I can always count on him. Isn't that cool? I can always count on him. He's always there, always reliable. Oh. I like this one. Someone said, he knows me best, yet loves me most. How you could identify with that one? It's like, nobody knows me better. And what's kind of amazing is he knows me better than anybody else and he loves me more than anybody else. Like, that messes with my mind. Maybe the best one of all is because he deserves it. What is yours? Why do you follow Jesus? And what is your personal answer? Not just the, Intellectual answer, but what, what is your personal answer? Like, what bonds you to him? What, what, what has caused you to just have this sense like there's nobody that matters more to me than Jesus? And where are you, where are you in the journey of that? I'd like for us to all think about this. Wouldn't it just be amazing if we could all be closer to him, more bonded to him, more engaged with him, he being more involved in our everyday life, and not just on the surface, but in the deep down things that actually matter most. Dealing with the stuff that's deepest down, the stuff that doesn't come to the surface that often, and, and yet that's where he wants to live. He's not put off by your doubts. He's not put off by your fears. He's not put off by the Horrible thoughts and motives that sometimes just seem to be in our hearts. Like, where did that come from? He wants to be so close that he can reach into your heart and change everything. Yes. 